Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. Lord, the entire reason we're here is because you have put death in the grave. Death has no more power over us. For those of us who participate in relationship with you, Jesus, death cannot hold us because it could not hold you. And so we gather here, Lord, and and I know um, we gather from all places and spectrums across the spiritual journey. People here who feel close and, and tender and their affections towards you, people here who feel very hard and bitter towards you, people here who don't even know who you are, uh, came with a friend, came for breakfast burritos, Um, but we're here, and we wanna hear what you have to say to us. And so in this next uh, little bit of time, Lord, would you speak to us? Um, Would you reveal your name, your power, and your love for each one of us and for your church, your body? Would you do it, Lord, because you're alive? And it's in your name we pray, amen. All right, well, if you're joining us for the first time, we've been in this series called Sacraments. Sacraments, it's a, it's a Catholic concept, um, but it, we're sort of looking at it from the pattern that it has. And the pattern is uh, that God wants to talk to us. God wants to communicate to his people. But if he does communicate to us through all sorts of people, all sorts of places, all sorts of institutions, uh, it's gonna do something. It's going to facilitate a death in us. It's gonna kill a part of us. But if we trust it, if we allow that part of us to die because God says it's actually a diseased part of us or a wayward part of us, uh, it's holding us back. There's gonna be a form of life that emerges out of it, which is better than anything we've experienced. Um, And before we jump into today's sacrament, one one little thing. Uh, We also have these new uh, handy dandy, nifty little spiritual response card. That's what we're calling them, spiritual response cards mainly because we didn't know how to be original without like also sounding pretentious. So we just said, we're just gonna call it what it is. It's a spiritual response card. It's another way for you guys to engage with us so that we can join you wherever you are on your spiritual journey. So if you, uh, you can find them in the Seatback Fanny Packs as well. It's got little things like you can take sermon notes. Um, it's got uh, next steps. Uh, so like we, we sort of broke it down into five possible next steps um, that God might be inviting you in to following him. It's got questions that you can text anonymously or write in. It's also got prayer requests. If you uh, have a prayer request to fill out, basically we just wanna know where you are. We wanna meet you there. We wanna walk alongside you. We're developing a team of people to sort of be spiritual buddies, also very original, I know. Um, And we'll sort of partner you up and we just wanna be here and walk alongside in this journey with you. So if you fill this out, also with the connection card, drop it off at the what's next table. in the back in the foyer on the way up to brunch. All right, so if you're with us last week, we talked about the sacrament of money. Yes, money, Uh, money proper. And we said a couple things about it, which will be useful for today's sacrament. So I wanna uh, rehash what we said last week so it makes sense what we're going into. So a couple things about money proper, a couple of assumptions from Jesus's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, which are important. First. Money is a God. Money is a God. 
Uh, and, and that money is a God. There are a couple aspects of the God of money that, ha- that uh, has a hold on us. First, it's a God that says it's always about more. It's always about gaining more. It's about gaining more for the, for the future, right? It's this promised date where the money will come, but it never really does come. It says, invest, pour yourself out, sell yourself to the man today, and then it will come tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes. And it's always about more for me, right? And this is important uh, that Jesus frames it this way because he says, we cannot relate with money neutrally. And if you think that you're relating with money as if you're relating with an equal, in fact, you're being controlled by it. That the only way to relate with money in a healthy fashion is to have an indifference toward it. And to have an indifference toward it requires that you have a deep devotion and love towards something or someone else. Notably, Jesus would say, toward God. When you're in that relationship with God, money sort of doesn't have the hold on you like it did. But we need to recognize that it is a God. You are not as strong as it. I am not as strong as it. The second assumption Jesus makes in this teaching, he says, you are going to accumulate money. (laughs) You are, and that's not a bad thing. In fact, some of you are gonna accumulate more of it than others because you have skills and you have passions and you have energies um, that lend themselves to being valued by the world in such a way that they're gonna pay you more. You're gonna accumulate money. And and, and we, we talked about it, and this will be important for today as well. Money is just sort of like a proxy for life right? Like in Jesus's day, life or, or, or compensation was uh, herds of animals and it was clothing and all that sort of stuff. In our day, it's this digital currency, right? We've standardized it, but it's just a proxy for life. We spend our lives working. We spend our lives exerting energy and abilities and passions. And most of the time, it's towards something that will result in uh, the accumulation of money. So you're going to accumulate it. The question is, what is the time span of what you're focusing on? Are you focusing on this short-term, me-focused investments, or do you have a a bigger um, time span in mind? Do you have a bigger family in mind? And the the third thing Jesus says in this assumption, he goes, money's a God, you're going to accumulate it, but you can know what you're focusing on based on what fills your eyes, aka what fills your thoughts. So what do you think about on a daily or weekly basis? Does fear run through your heart and your head? Um, Are you thinking about more for yourself? Are you thinking about others and their experiences? Are you thinking about opportunities uh, in the kingdom? And he says, he sort of sums all this up by saying, therefore, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. First means today, right? Not tomorrow. Second would be tomorrow. First is today. Seek today the kingdom. And when you do that, when you invest Money, because in the context of, what he, of his argument, seeking means to invest. When you invest money into the kingdom of God today, you're gonna defy the God of money because it's, you can't get more when you're investing. You're actually getting less and you're gonna defy the God of money. It says more for me because it's not more for you. It's more for the kingdom and it's less, which demonstrates that you have enough today. That, that promised uh, fulfillment, that promised satisfaction for tomorrow, you actually find it today. So in all those things, it sort of relinquishes the hold that the God of money has on us. And he says, and and even if you don't know this, and this is why like, I think even talking about money is important. If you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, I think it's still for you. Because I've, most of the people I've met 
who wouldn't call Jesus, you know, they, they don't accept his claims about who he is as unique in the Son of God. They still want to say that, you know, he's a really good teacher. Okay, well, let's, let's accept his teaching. And he says, where your, your treasure is, there your heart will follow. And the order is important. We talked about that last week. He doesn't say where your heart is, the treasure will follow. So he doesn't say, wait until you feel generous and then start being generous, giving away. He, say, he flips it. He says, instead, go ahead and start putting your treasure to others, to the kingdom, and your heart's gonna follow. And, and that makes sense, right? We, like the analogy of, of wanting to get in shape. You might get like this moment of extreme transcendence, like I wanna do this, I wanna get in shape. But that moment is gonna fade after a week, is it not? Of actually trying to work out and eat healthy. You'd be like, oh, those nachos look really good right now. It's gonna fade. So don't wait until you feel all these things and then set out to it. Go ahead and start taking the steps and your body will follow. So that's what we talked about last week, the sacrament of money proper. Today, what I wanna do is go into part two of that, the sacrament of money and specifically one area of investment and a very important one, which is the local church. So today what I wanna talk about is how God meets us when we participate financially in the church. And again, remember, money is a proxy for our lives. Money is a proxy for the things that we do. So to partner financially with the church is to join your life with God's life. It's to join your life with God's life. And I'm gonna be very, very bold and hopefully very humble today, but I'm gonna be straight up with us. I am asking those of us in this room who call Hope Brooklyn home, we've been coming for a bit, even if you've been coming for a little bit, I am asking you to financially participate, to invest in the kingdom of God here at Hope Brooklyn. In the past, what we've done, and we're about a year and a half old, we've always, we've talked about money before and we've invited people. But today I'm going a step beyond invitation. Yes, it's always an invitation. But today I'm saying, I'm asking you to do it. If we're taking Jesus's word seriously of saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I'm asking you to put your treasure into this body, into this community, and see if your heart stirs in the process. But I'm not just, you know, pulling a, uh, a parent because I said so type of thing. I wanna explain very practically and very tangibly why this has always been the invitation for all of God's people since God called Abraham and really before that, and we'll get into that. It's always been what God has asked his people to do. And for our passage, we're gonna look at 2 Corinthians chapter eight. So Paul's writing a letter to the church in Corinth uh, and we're gonna read verses one through 15. Uh, so we're gonna have it up on the screen behind me. If you have your Bible, smartphones, you can pull that out as well. 2 Corinthians chapter eight, verses one through 15. That was a dramatic pause right there. This is what Paul says. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion 
this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be a fair balance. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need, and then there will be a fair balance. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. There's a lot going on in this passage that Paul is getting at, and more than we can even talk about. So instead, I wanna focus on the three key themes that I see in this passage of why Paul is advocating for the church in Corinth to give money to the wider church. And at that time, there were no like local churches in the sense of there was one big church and, and the, the hub of it was in Jerusalem. So money sort of passed through Jerusalem and then passed back out, similar like denominations. But Paul is advocating for the people of Corinth to financially partner with the church. And there are three main reasons why he does this. I'm gonna talk about each one of them. First, generosity and going forward, when I say generosity in this context, I mean generosity as partnering with the church. Generosity is energizing. That's the first reason. Generosity is energizing. Energizing, to give energy. Energy is the stuff that, I'm not a scientist, so don't get mad at me, but the stuff flowing on inside of us that makes us move, makes us come alive, right? Generosity is energizing. To give energy is to bring to life, to make alive. You see this in verse six and seven. Paul describes what he saw about the Macedonians. Out of their poverty, they gave. And he says, so that we might urge Titus that as he had made a beginning, so we should also complete the generous undertaking among you. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, utmost eagerness, in our love for you, we want you to excel also in this generosity. What's happening? He's saying because of the Macedonians' radical generosity that I wasn't even expecting, it, it sort of energized me to urge Titus to finish this, right? He's like, whoa, I wasn't even ready for this such that I became energized and we said to Titus, go finish this work and we're urging you Corinthians to also join in this. And the examples of this of all over the place. I was talking to a friend just a couple weeks ago who received a gift from his company he wasn't expecting. And he said it was so energizing. It made him feel valued when he wasn't expecting it. And it sort of gave him a, a, a new sense of vigor for the work that he was doing. And also like another example, and I try not to use this often because I, I realize there's a certain stigma floating around about this. I am a member of CrossFit, okay? Yes. Any other CrossFitters in the room? Whew, one. I was waiting for you, Darren. I was like, I I'm not going to force him to raise his hand, but I do know because I've run into him. Um, 
I am a member of CrossFit proudly, unabashedly. It's awesome, but I'm not gonna convert you to it. I wanna convert you to Jesus. That's what I'm here for today. But we do this thing at CrossFit, right? Where at the end of the workout, we have a conditioning piece. And the first couple months, or maybe even still right now, it is the worst. It is like they know how to destroy you. And so you have a couple people, because again, we're on different places on the journey, on the spectrum. Some people are like in super duper shape and they're done in five minutes. And you're like, I didn't know I was working out with Superman here. Like, come on. Um, and then the rest of us are just huffing and puffing and coughing up phlegm and dying on the floor, right? And so I remember one of my first workouts, and I didn't know about the whole culture of CrossFit and all that, um, but I'm trying to finish my workout and you're working out by yourself, right? And I'm doing, I don't know, burpees or something. Um, and I'm dying and I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm gonna finish this. And then out of nowhere, I hear someone say, you got this, Russ, keep it up, right? Simple word of encouragement. I didn't even know who that person was. I didn't even know they knew my name. But what did that do to me just to hear that word of encouragement? Energized me. It's like, oh, I do have this. <laughs> I can complete this exercise. But it's sort of, I mean, it's a trivial example, but I think it gets at the concept. I was not expecting a word of encouragement I hadn't deserved it or anything. It was given freely. It was a generous gift. And what did it do to me? It energized me. I thought I couldn't finish and suddenly I found life within me to keep going, to keep at it. And I think this explains the concept of generosity in particular and then, or, or uh, generally, and then money specifically. We lose energy when we think we're alone. But when someone gives to us generously, that is to say, gratuitously, when we weren't expecting it, it reminds us that we're part of a body. We're part of a bigger community, which in turn gives us energy and makes us want to give. So now I, because I'm not finishing last anymore, I'm finishing like second or third to last, I get to encourage those who haven't finished, right? The, the energy passes through. Paul writes in verse four, he goes, for as I can testify, they, they meaning the Macedonians, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. I'm gonna build up an argument here and then I'm gonna come back to it. So stay with me, okay? They begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. Well, the first thing that's interesting about that, that last phrase in the Greek, the privilege, the word for privilege is the Greek word charis which means grace, begging us for the grace. It's a grace to be able to partner financially. It's a grace to give unexpectedly, begging us for the grace of sharing in the ministry of the saints. Sharing, the Greek word for that is koinonia. Maybe you've heard of it before. I'm gonna talk about it briefly. Koinonia has this idea of, of fellowship. It's, it's most often uh, translated fellowship, um, sharing, partnership, but really it's this idea of two becoming one, right? Or multiple becoming one. Sharing to such a degree that there's an overlap of identities. There's, there's not like two separate things anymore. It's become one new thing. Most notably, you see it all over the place in the New Testament describing the church, us, the people of God. 
And most notably, you see it in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, which uh, details the first church. So after Jesus does his thing and he gives his spirit to those who follow him, they become sort of the first expression of Jesus's work, the continuation of Jesus's work in the world. And they're described early on in Acts chapter two, and this is how they're described. They said, they, they, the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those are the four things that the first community of followers of Jesus focused on. The apostles' teaching, this, being instructed in the way of Jesus, to the breaking of bread, sharing a meal together, we could insert breaking of breakfast burritos. We're gonna do that. To prayer and to fellowship. And the word for fellowship is koinonia. They devoted themselves to becoming one, to an intimacy, to a partnership, to this, this new hybrid where there's energy passing back and forth. Uh, we said this earlier on uh, a couple sermons ago when we talked about community. And I got this from Patrick Deneen, um, but he talks about how our modern society, when we talk about community, we're all holes apart, right? W-H-O. We're holes, you're a hole, I'm a hole, and we're apart from one another, but we're existing together. But that's not the type of community God is getting at. The church, and really I would say true community, is parts of a whole, where we each share things together, and now we are something bigger than we were just by ourselves. And in, in, in the Bible, it's called the body. We are likened to a body. We are the extension of Jesus's body in the world. One example among many, Romans 12. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And people outside of the church, they're finding the exact same thing. Uh, professor, uh, MIT professor Sherry Turkle wrote a book called Alone Together, Studying Community. And what she found is that the root word for community literally means to give among each other. To be in community, I love that, I'm just gonna pause there. To really legitimately be in community is to give among each other. Generosity is at the essence of true community. And she found that there are actually two primary uh, elements that make a community really, really strong. And they are this, physical proximity, what we're doing right now, we have to be proximate with one another. We have to be able to see and touch and experience one another and also shared responsibilities. When there's shared responsibilities that we are giving back and forth to one another in a physically proximate space, we have all the elements that would build true and real community. Now, let me put this all together. I'm sort of defining some terms there. It's gonna, I'm gonna uh, uh, wrap it up in a nice bow here, okay? All right. Remember, money, a proxy for life. In our culture, in our society, money is sort of the things we spend our lives doing. Generosity is energizing. Generosity gives life. It makes alive. The church is koinonia. We are now partners of one another. And really what we've become is Jesus's body. Community means to give among each other. Therefore, to participate financially in the church is to join your life 
and to the koinonia of God is to make Jesus's body alive is to create true community. I was expecting cheers after that one, the way I pulled it all together. That's okay. That's all right. It's all right. It's money. I'm not even taking that seriously. That's all right. To participate financially in the church is to join your life into the koinonia of God, to make Jesus's body live and to create true community. It makes the body alive. It makes, and, and you know this, like practically speaking, it would be hard for us to be in this space right now if we didn't have some aspect of funds from somewhere, right? We couldn't be physically proximate. Or we have to be physically proximate in a different way. To participate financially in the church is to make the body live. And that's always been the promise and the expectation of God's people. When we partner with one another, when we partner with God's people, we give away our life, we join into his life. We give away our life, we join into one another's life. And don't worry because they're gonna give away their life and join into ours. It's back and forth. So, and just so you know, if I'm asking you to partner with the life of Hope Brooklyn to this local expression of Jesus's body, Hope Brooklyn, it doesn't stop with us. We don't hold up and bottleneck the energy. We're passing it along as well. So in our budget, 20% of our funds, of all that we bring in goes outside our doors. 10% goes to our national denomination, the larger body, the larger koinonia that we're a part of. 2.5% goes to our local body, which is Hope Church NYC of other churches all across the city. And 7.5% go to local nonprofits, organizations uh, in Brooklyn that we have partnership with. Uh, and it's been different. We're still developing who it's gonna be this year. So 20% of all that comes in goes out. And I'm not sure if that's like high or low for a church plant yet. I'd love it to continue to increase as we get bigger, as we grow stronger. I'd love that. But we're not holding it here either. It's always the promise and the expectation. We practice koinonia. We give our life away and we join into another life. And then Hope Brooklyn gives its life away to join into another life. So that's the first thing. Why do we financially partner with the church? Because it energizes, it makes alive. The second reason, generosity tests the legitimacy of your love. This is one of those, oh, but Paul's saying it, not me. All right, Paul's saying it, not me. He writes, I do not say this as a command, but rather I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. The word he uses there is daka madzeo. And you see this word everywhere in the New Testament. It basically means to approve by testing to see whether a thing is genuine or legitimate or not. So like when you test car parts, when the making of a car, right? You put the car through actual test crashes to see if the parts work. You test it, the legitimacy of it, which means you can't test in theory. You can only test and practice. You actually have to do it to see if it's real or not. And you see this throughout. In 1 Timothy 3, Paul's talking to a pastor named Timothy, and they're talking about how to figure out who can be a leader within the church, who can have authority to speak into people's lives. And he says, test them, dakamadzeo, approve their legitimacy by testing. One of my favorite examples of this, I was in a, 
a church back in Portland, we were meeting in this other location and above uh, the kitchen, above, there was a plaque above the kitchen and it said, everyone wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes. Let's test. How badly do you want the revolution? You want it with words? Or are you willing to do the thankless work of dishes day in and day out? That demonstrates if you want the revolution or not. Let's test the genuineness of your love. And we have our own phrase to say exactly what Paul's saying. What do we say? Put your money where your mouth is, right? Isn't that what we say? Put your money, you're talking this, but I know you actually believe it if now it's getting real, stakes are a little higher. If your money, because money is a proxy for our lives, isn't it? So we put our money to something we recognize, oh, we actually believe in this or we care a lot more deeply about this. We have skin in the game. So why are we asked to financially participate with the church? Because the church is the body of Jesus. It's the continuation of his work. Money is a proxy for life. To give money to the church is to join your life with the life of Jesus's body. It's to practice koinonia with Jesus. Is your relationship with God genuine? Well, if your life is joined to Jesus's life, then yes. If your life is joined to Jesus's life, then yes. And it's always been this way. You look throughout um, scripture, the story of God's work with his people, the history of God's people practicing koinonia. And it's so easy, before I go into it, it's so easy to make formulaic and I don't want to. There are some principles in place for our help, but I don't wanna make them formulas because if we're just existing with formulas, we're not a human, we're a robot, right? Robots follow the rules, but there's no life in them. This isn't formulas, it's a way of life. And the way of life for the people of God, the body of God, is actually that of radical generosity. That's what's being advocated for, radical generosity. Radical generosity was always the daka mazeo. It was always the testing of our genuineness. And you see this all the way back in the fourth chapter of Genesis. At this point, there are only four people on the earth, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel are two brothers and they both bring an offering to God, right? So we already see that there's an expectation for us to bring um, our, our yield, our profits to God as a response of saying, thank you for giving me the abilities for this. Cain, let me get this straight, I'll mix them up. Yeah, Cain, um, is a farmer and Abel, he has uh, uh, livestock. Well, Cain, when he brings his, his uh, produce, we're told that God is displeased with it. And he's pleased rather with Abel's lambs. And the reason why is because Cain did not bring the best of his produce. He didn't give the, the best grapes, the best figs, the best, I don't know, whatever fruits are grown in the Mediterranean. He brought the, the, the measly stuff, the last stuff. Abel, on the other hand, brought the best lambs, the best goats that he had, and he offered them. And that's important we recognize this. Let's put it in our modern parlance. When you receive a paycheck, what's the first thing that's paid out? Rent? For many of you, you're like, yes. <laughs> and I get it. But in doing that, we are saying rent is first groceries, healthcare. And I realize this tests some stuff. And I realize this is the conversation in a lot of ways. I really do. 
but it, it gets at something deep in our hearts. What is the first thing to come out? And I've, I heard a pastor say this once. I'm not sure if I like it completely because it feels a little judgy, but I'm gonna say it, but know that I'm not saying it in a judgy way, okay? But he says um, that God wants tithers, not tippers. And I think there's something true to that, right? I think many of us sometimes we pay our bills and then whatever we have left over, we sort of give that, right? And in a sense, God is saying, though he adores you, loves you, he's for you, right? We're not talking about that. In a sense, God is saying, I'd rather just not even have it because it's, it's mis- you're, you're getting the wrong idea. You think I just want uh, the tips, I, I want the leftovers? No, 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 no. I don't need it. I don't need it. That's not why we do this. We do this because I want you. We do this because it's about your heart. Therefore, give me the first or don't give me anything. And in giving the first, you find, again, that the God of money has no power over you. You can live, you can exist in a new way of life. Give the first. Tithers, not tippers. And the reason why we get the tithe, and that's a, that's a church word, um, it basically means a tenth of, of something. The where that comes from is just 10 chapters later. Genesis 14. Abraham, who's the father of many nations, including us, because we are grafted onto the people of Israel. Abraham, in a very mysterious story, is talking with King Melchizedek of Salem. Salem becomes present-day Jerusalem. And he does this thing where he gives a tenth of all of his stuff, all of his produce, all of his servants, all of his flocks and herds, and he gives a tenth of it to King Melchizedek. And we're told that that is sort of the institution of radical generosity. One-tenth, a tenth of all our profits is sort of the, the guideline for what is gonna be radical. Why? Because it hurts. <laughs> a tenth will hurt. A tenth will say, I don't know how I'm gonna live to a certain degree. And therefore, guess who has to come in? God. He has to provide at that point. And you'll find he starts providing through us in many ways. There's a really interesting podcast called The Bible Project. I recommend it. It comes from some some guys out in Portland. But they had an episode called God and Money. And this, I realize this point is probably making you angry, so I'm just going to keep going and make you even angrier. And then maybe we'll get all the way full circle and then you'll be happy again, all right? That's my plan. But they talk about that with the people of Israel, at least, 10% wasn't even expectation. Expectation was 23%. (laughs) No tomatoes, please, all right? 23%. And here's where they get that from. They said 10% of the Israelites' income went to the priest, went to the base of the, the ancient pastors, because the, the, the Levites, the priests, they weren't given a portion of the land with the other tribes. They were in charge of the temple. 10%, and this is fascinating, went to an annual year-end party that they would throw. And they would invite everyone, the super rich and the super poor. Every Israelite was invited to this party. 10% went to that. That's an amazing party. We start doing that, guys. We are going to deck out. <laughs> And then 3% annually, 10% over three years, went to basically uh, the local food shelter. So 23% went out of each Israelite's pocket, their profits. And it went for the priest, a party, and the poor. And just so you know, because it's not a formula, it's a way of life, there were also expectations of generosity over on top of that. So when you were gleaning your field, you had to glean haphazardly. You couldn't optimize your profits. You sort of had to be like, 
ah, grab the wheat, grab the wheat. That's how I gleaned fields. It would have taken a long time. And then you leave, like you don't grab it all. And the reason why is because you're supposed to leave um, some for the poor to come behind you. So basically God is saying in this way of life, you're to be radically generous, 23% out the door. And also an expectation of not counting pennies in your day-to-day life, of seeing how God's moving in relationships, whose bills you can pick up, who's in need, what's going on. Maybe uh, something for you is like, I don't need that. Different ways of cultivating a radically generous heart. By the time we get to the New Testament, the people of God, there's no longer 23%. And I know you're like, thank you. And the reason why is because Israel is not uh, a theocracy anymore. They do not rule themselves. They exist as citizens and of their nations. And they have something called taxes to pay. (laughs) So in the New Testament, you see Paul and other writers, they don't advocate for 23%. They sort of say 10% is a general rule. Uh, I'm sorry, not in the New Testament. They say radically, radical generosity. But in the church, in the history of the last 2000 years, 10% has been taken up as like, the sort of the, the, the guideline, the baseline of what it means to be radically generous. And so speaking very practically, the way Anna and I do things, I'm gonna be very honest. So Anna, my wife, she owns her own company. Joyce Films, my wife is a baller, girl boss. And um, Joyce Films pays Anna Joyce, her sole employee, even though I do a lot of work for it. And I still haven't seen a paycheck. And I talk to my boss all the time and she tells me it's getting lost in the mail. I trust her, I don't know what's going on. Um, but uh, Joyce Films pays Anna Joyce a salary each month. I receive a salary from Hope Brooklyn. We take 10% of that off the top each month and we give to the church. Then we look throughout the year for uh, ways that God's putting on our hearts to bless people, to be in people's lives. We're looking for little things, big things all the time. And then at the end of the year, whatever over the top that Joyce Films will make, minus what she's, Anna Joyce has already been paid, what other profits, we gave 10% of that. And just so you know, again, and I don't say this with any hint of arrogance or anything like that, because this has been a long journey and we are still learning. We are still learning. And still, just two weeks ago, I don't know if I shared this with you, two weeks ago, I was back in Portland um, for a conference and I was talking with a buddy and he was just going through a tough time and I felt God put on my heart, our heart to, to help his family out a little bit. And I was like, oh. And the reason I was like, oh, because we felt like God put on our heart just a month ago, one other situation. Like, can we space these out a little bit, please? <laughs> but it was clear. And then I realized, and this is what's so funny, I had forgotten at the time that I was about to be talking about money and generosity. <laughs> I was like, oh crap, there's no way I can not do this. And then talk to our community about this. So we look for 10% um, off the top gross before taxes, because again, God is first for us. And I say that again, without any hint of, uh, I pray, and if there is, God can convict me of it. But learning, learning, that's our way of crippling ourselves. We're not benefiting our future dynasty. Well, there's not gonna be one because we're a pastor, (laughs) but we're not benefiting it. We're forcing ourselves into reliance on God, dependence on God. And the other thing he says, and the reason why 10% is sort of the guideline, because Paul's talking about according to your means. He says that throughout, you you catch that. He says, they gave according to their means, which means 
10% might be too low for some of you. What's according to your means? What is radical generosity? In in the the Bible Project story, it was following two Harvard MBAs and they were um, looking at um, um, people who graduated from Harvard uh, Business School and were part of a Christian fellowship and they were doing tests on, basically they were testing the legitimacy of their love and they found through their generosity, they found that a lot of these graduates were giving like 50 or 60% of their income away. Now, granted, they're making a lot of money, all right? So they're definitely gonna be okay. But what it means is they're not building a dynasty for their family. They're not maximizing wealth. Instead, they are partnering radically with the kingdom of God through all different ways. And what the other thing they found is that these people were full of joy. They were bubbling over with excitement of stuff they were seeing and stuff they got to be a part of. What is radical generosity? Paul writes, I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it's a question of a fair balance. Fair doesn't mean equal. Israel had the wealthy and the poor. The church had the wealthy and the poor. But it means as he ends, the one who had much did not have too much. And the one who had little did not have too little. Because both of those areas, both too much and too little, can be problematic. Radical generosity is an attempt to ensure that in our communities, no one's too rich, no one's too poor, but all of us are gripped by love and devotion for God. It tests the legitimacy of your love. Is your relationship with God genuine? Well, if your life is joined with Jesus's life, then yes, you're practicing koinonia. And the last reason, generosity energizes, generosity tests the legitimacy of our love, The last reason why Paul advocates for it, it's the way of Jesus. (laughs) It's the way of Jesus. And you see it, he puts it right in the passage, verse nine. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is the essence of why we're all here. God, complete in richness, complete in abundance, in wholeness, in completeness, did not consider that wealth and abundance something to be held on to. But Jesus emptied himself of all of it. He gave away his wealth to the last penny. And he entered into the world as a poor human in utter poverty like us. Unto death, dying on a cross, that therefore we who participate in his death will receive also his life. We, who, we being poor, who participate in his poverty will receive life and wealth with him one day. Thank goodness that God did not give just 10% to us. Thank goodness he gave all he had, his very son. The essence of God, the essence of the story is self-giving, is generosity. That is the core of who he is. And that is how the church spreads. One of the most famous lines from a church historian named Tertullian in about the second or third century. um, And this is when Christians are being persecuted, they're being killed. He himself was a Roman historian who became a Christian later on. And the reason why he goes, he says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. He could not understand why people would give their lives for this story. The generosity 
of Christians compelled him, awoke him in a way that he had never experienced. Which is why it's not as simple as a percentage. It's radical generosity. It's generosity that results in death, but through it, others live. Another fascinating thing about it, when we're talking about generosity in this passage, the Greek word for it is charis the entire time, grace. It's grace, it's grace. It's undeserved, it's unmerited, it's gratuitous, it's grace. To participate in the koinonia of Jesus's body through the giving of money of your life is to participate in grace. I remember I saw this, um, I mean, I've seen this many times, but one that really sticks out to me is my friend's 30th birthday in Portland. And uh, there were about 12 of us um, who gathered at this place in Portland called the Whiskey Library. It's like this super cool place, like tufted leather couches, all types of whiskey. It's amazing. And uh, my friend, he, he, we're all gathering, and then he orders a shot of the most expensive whiskey on the menu. It's some like Pappy Van Winkle for people here who really know whiskey. Uh, I don't even know how much it was, but it was like the most expensive, it was the most expensive whiskey on the menu. Orders a shot of it. We're super excited for him. It's his 30th birthday. He's going out. He gets it. And basically he says, I bought this to share with my 12 closest friends how much I love you. He says, I can think of no greater joy than to watch each of you have a sip of this. And he passes the whiskey around and each one of us has a little sip of it such that when it gets back to him, there's none left. That is the gospel. God comes, he gives himself, and everyone gets to participate. That is the essence of grace. That is the essence of generosity. That is a tangible practice of what Paul's talking about. I want to invite the band back up. And as I said in the beginning, being very honest, I'm asking us here today in a way that we've invited in the past. Today, I wanna ask directly for us to participate in the koinonia of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the extension of his work through our specific body, which is Hope Brooklyn. We're a year and a half year old church and thus far, we've existed twofold. We've existed through the generosity of outside donors who have no physical proximity and through our own generosity. But as we enter into our third fiscal year, basically, we need to take the last step and become completely self-sufficient so that we can continue the work that God has called us to. And you know some of it, if you've been coming for a bit, our tagline is wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. So our vision, what we feel God is inviting us to, is to create spaces, tables, both legitimate tables, like our tables ministry, but also spaces throughout Brooklyn, throughout the city, for people to gather, for people to be heard, be loved, receive grace. And we're doing that through all sorts of ways. Tables as one. We have an amazing youth group called The Reservoir, which not only uh, creates spaces for our own youth, but also for the youth outside of our church that have nothing to do with Hope Brooklyn, with other churches. We have brunch ministries, 20% goes out our doors, Sunday experiences. 
I'm the only full-time staff and we have other staff that are working extremely hard. I'd love to be able to pay them more. As we take this next step, very honestly, we cannot do it unless we all do it together. But the promise, the promise as it's been for all of God's people is if we give our life to a body, we make the body come alive and we receive a life in abundance. The death we thought was gonna happen actually doesn't kill us. I do not say this as a command, but I say this directly and honestly, testing the genuineness of our love. And I wanna end with one story. And I think it's an urban legend that I got from Chicken Soup for the Soul. Yeah, y'all remember that? But I think it, it definitely captures the idea because when we step into something like this, right? Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be. Our heart's not there yet. When we step into something, we're, we're feeling it's gonna kill us. And it is, it is a death of sorts. It is um, a fear that we're not gonna have enough to live on. It's testing God saying, will he actually be who he says he is? But we find that it actually doesn't kill us. Actually, multiple lives are saved. In the same way that my friend who gave one whiskey brought life to 12 more, metaphorically. <laughs> it definitely made us alive, it gave us energy. But the story goes that there was, um, there was a brother and a sister and uh, the sister had leukemia, needed a blood transfusion. And um, uh, basically the doctors and the parents discovered that the, the brother might be a match. And so they asked um, her, uh, the sister's little brother, hey, would you be willing um, to give blood uh, for your sister? And he thought about it for a second. He was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. So the day of the transfusion comes and they, they hook him up and they start extracting his blood. Um, and then out of nowhere, he starts to cry. And they're like, oh, are you okay? I mean, does it hurt? And he, he looks at his parents, he goes, when does it happen? And they're like, what are you talking about? He goes, when do I die? He thought in his little mind, by giving his blood to his sister, that means he was gonna die. And they started crying and laughing and saying, oh, no, 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 that's not how it works at all. You have more than enough blood to live. So in fact, not only are you not gonna die, but your sister's gonna be able to live as well. And so many of these things feel this way. They feel like death. We think it's gonna be death and we need to feel that because we're living in a form of death already. When we step into it, we discover the abundance and the mystery of life. That not only does it not kill us, but it brings life to many. Not only does it feel like, how am I gonna live if I give this percentage away? We're gonna find not only do we live, but many live and we live in abundance and we get to see the provision of God through multiple different ways. We get to live freely and that is a life that is incredible. So as we move into this next year, I'm asking you to give your life to Jesus. And for some of you today, that might not be um, completely money. Some of you here who are not followers of Jesus, that might be actually giving your life actually taking a step of faith. For some of you who uh, don't know what is next, maybe it's baptism, maybe it's making public, giving your life fully. He says, I don't want part of it, I want all of it. For some of you who have been away for a while, maybe it's saying, okay, I'm gonna commit to this community. I'm coming back. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. 
Meaning where you are, your heart follows. It's not the other way around. We can't do this apart from one another. We can only do it together. Will you pray with me? Lord, I realize how scary days like today can be. I mean, every day with you in a sense is fear, but it's, it's a different kind of fear. It's not fear of whether you're gonna hurt us or not. It's just fear of you because we know, we see you, we feel it in our bones, your truth and your life. We see the essence of the gospel. God who did not stay apart from us, but gave up his riches, his abundance, his perfection, and came to us as an imperfect one, joined us in our poverty. Through your gift, you have made us all rich, rich in love, rich in so many ways. And Lord, you've, you've been the pioneer of this church from the very beginning. This is your body. This is another extension of your grace and your koinonia in Brooklyn. And so we know you care about this far more than we do, far more than I do. Lord, I pray that as we step into this next season, that you would put it on all of our hearts to step afraid, to step angry, to step unsure, but just to step. We don't wanna exist in these places of status quo. We don't wanna exist in these places of numbness. We wanna experience life to the fullness. And that only comes when we join into the essence of grace, the essence of God, pouring out ourselves that we may receive your life. So Lord, I don't know what the step is fully for everyone here, but my prayer is that you would speak to them in this next bit of time and that Holy Spirit, that you would encourage them, give them the energy to step fully into life with you. Only you can do it, Lord. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's sermon. To find out more about the mission and ministry of Hope Brooklyn, details about Sunday worship and brunch, to subscribe to our other podcasts, and lots more, visit us online at www.hopebrooklyn.org.